Welcome, everyone. And now for something completely machinima podcast, both the video for YouTube and the audio for our transistor. Uh, I'm here with my pals, Phil Rice and Damian Valentine. Hey, everyone. I'm Ricky Grove. Uh, Tracy couldn't be here today because she is at a festival, the Oberhausen Film Festival, which runs between April 28th and May 1st. By now, she's finished it because this is our third week of uh, May, but it was a major film festival to include a program dedicated to machinima. It's the first of uh, its kind. Their focus is on avant-garde machinima. I'm looking forward to hearing Tracy give us a full report. So let's go jump right into the film now. Damien, this is your pick. Um, tell us about it. Well, uh, Ricky, and, uh, in our first episode of this uh, month, you were talking about your process of finding films, and mine seems to be, I find things completely by accident. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, a great way to do it. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't looking for, I hadn't sat down to, um, to use anything yet. It was just, it came up on a recommended video when I was watching something else. I thought, oh, that looks interesting. So I, I, I clicked it and I started watching. I thought, this is really interesting. And then I looked down at the runtime and I thought, am I going to want to go through all of this? Because I realized this is one of the longest films we've ever seen uh, on the show. And I did. I sat down and watched all of it. Um, and I'd just been thinking that usually we pick films that are about you know five to ten minutes long. And then I came across this one and completely ruined that. Um, yes, you did. <laughs> there are times Ooh. where i felt like the editing could have been a little bit tighter but overall i really enjoyed the story and i really enjoyed the animation and it was all made by one person using unreal and at the end of the when the film's finished there's a, a post-credit scene but it's not extra story it's the director talking about how he made it mm. and that's worth, you know, it's just a few minutes long. It's worth sitting down to lis listen to what he has to say as well, because he, he kind of goes into some of the details, which is, you know, why he did it. And that, that's, it's interesting. Um, What's the yeah. story about? So it's about two factions of robots. And one is a group of rebel robots. And these are the, the, sort of the, the hero characters. And they're being pursued by this other army of robots. And th there's a, the battle and then they crash on this planet and the both both sides crash and they're trying to figure out how to survive while also still continuing the conflict between them because they're not going to join forces to figure out how to survive because they've got so much animosity between the two and um the hero the hero robots basically want to escape and get away and uh, enjoy the freedom and the rest of it which I, I don't want to go into too much because you know you have to sit down and watch it um but yeah despite some flaws with editing which i think could have been tighter um i think this was a really good film and it's really well made and really well animated and i thought this is gonna be my pick for this month and i hope you guys didn't hate me too much for making you watch an hour and 20 minute long film so what do you think bill do you want to start or do you want me to you can go ahead okay well, I think I've always had an issue with feature-length machinima films. I've watched maybe, what, a dozen or more over the last 20 years. And they all fail at being able to keep me engaged for the entire length of the film. 
And I'm not sure why that is. And I've been thinking about it off and on. And this film gave me another opportunity to examine that uh, experience. And I think in a way, what happens is, is that the level of a visual spectacle, the way the film looks and the storytelling don't rise to a level that allows you to be engaged, like say in a Pixar film or in one of the major, oh, you know, there are a lot of superhero films where they get a team of people together and they're doing stuff. They're edited so flawlessly, they're shown so flawlessly that you naturally keep, even though the story plots and stories are cliches, you still are engaged with it. I don't think machinima, even machinima made in Unreal, allows you to sustain that level of disbelief, suspended disbelief, because that's what you do. You suspend your disbelief and you say, okay, I'm going to get involved in the completely imaginary story. I lasted about 12 minutes into this film before I started to sputter. So I went ahead and I lasted about another 10 minutes. And then I went ahead and I lasted about five minutes. And then I went toward the end and I lasted about two minutes. Now, some of that is me. Okay. It's my own particular bent because I tend to have a harder time with mainstream themes. And that's what this film is about. It tends, it's a, commercial subject film with a group of misfits that you root for fighting a group. It's almost like a Star Wars uh, situation where you have these misfit group of people and they're fighting this machine, this this group of machines. So it's a, it's a theme and it's a subject that I know already. And because it didn't do anything different from what I've seen before, it bored me at times. Now, I have to say, in spite of that, I have great admiration for anybody who sits down and makes a film like this, because the amount of effort and the amount of skill that has to go into putting this together is absolutely phenomenal. It's certainly beyond me. You know, here I am making all these judgments about the movie, and I I could never do something like that. Um, I was very impressed with that. But I think it overemphasized, a lot of mainstream films do that. It overemphasized spectacle, a huge big spectacle, and plot. Plot, plot, plot. Now, Phil, you were talking about earlier in our After War film, the first one we did, about how you needed to have a character to focus in on. Boy, this film certainly did that. It gave you exactly, it gave you a series of, fun and, and goofy kinds of characters to follow. Um, I hope this film does well. Uh, I think it shows how Unreal can be a massive uh, plus for Machinima. I think it may have been a better uh, to see as an episodic where you had 10 minute intervals. <laughs> of, it broke it into 10 minute intervals because it just didn't sustain the interest for that long period of time. I think it's a phenomenal accomplishment. Um, but it didn't have the imagination that some of our other films did, After War in particular. And that was a, a problem. Uh, in addition, I think that the film lacks 
gosh, I don't know how to describe it. I think the filmmaker, instead of calling, oh no, now I know what I want to say. I'm sorry, I'm getting off, off that. At the end, in that little uh, piece that you were talking about, Damien, where the filmmaker yeah. comes on, he calls him, he calls it cinematic design. That's the name that he uses for his method of creating these films inside of uh, <laughs> Unreal. He didn't call it machinima. Now, that tells me something, and I hope we can discuss this a little bit, is that it didn't even occur to this person that it, what he's doing is machinima. Because he doesn't come out of a machinima background like our last one, uh, Sandstorm. That was a celebration of the game. This is a celebration of big-time Hollywood movies with a kind of sentimental love for offbeat kinds of characters. So it's a very different world that this person is coming from. And, and no wonder he didn't call it machinima because it wouldn't even occur to him to call it machinima. He calls it cinematic design. And I thought that was an interesting method. And I hope he does some tutorials on on how we put together the uh, uh, the film. But that was my reaction to it. It's an entirely personal reaction. I respect it. I admire it, but it just didn't engage me. Bill, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, you know, it's well known between us that I I do have more of a stomach for um, traditional and and even veering into to sentimental stories or the, the you know the Robert McKee formula doesn't doesn't rub me as wrong as it does you. But even so, uh, this film was a struggle for me to get through too. And I've been scratching my head all week about why, because it's not that I've, you know, I think for some people, people younger than me in particular, it's just a hard challenge to make feature films that will engage them at all. They're so uh, awash in short form content. Uh, not just TikTok, but I mean, even even the typical YouTube video when it's narrative, it's short, you know, and that's that's what they're that's the attention span that's that's there. So even films that I have no trouble with on the big screen or or feature length works um, that I have no trouble with, my son does. Like it's hard to just keep him. It has to be really really engaging. Um, it's just a different different tolerance or a different standard. I don't know quite know how to put it. I'm still trying to figure it out, to be honest. But so I don't have that aversion to or general impatience with long form content. And I still had trouble with this. And I've been trying to figure out why it is too, Ricky. And, um, you know, what is the secret sauce that this is lacking? Um, and I think you're onto something. I mean, definitely, you know, what using Pixar as an example, like their work or not, some of the narratives that they craft for their, especially those movies during that kind of peak time, the, you know, the Finding Nemo and Wally and all that work. Yeah. Supposedly all those movie ideas came to the guys over one lunch, just the general ideas. And then for the next 10 years, they developed them out and made them. And those are just masterpieces of narrative. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I don't think it's the technical uh, you know, the, the unreal look 
that makes it lacking because I think of, I don't know if you've seen, uh, there's, do you remember Dynamo Dream? It wasn't a feature length film, but the uh, Ian Hubert, I think his name is, the filmmaker, he made it all in Unreal. There was one episode released, I want to say about a year ago. And it was, it was set in this sci-fi universe of some kind. And it's basically ended up being about this girl who was going down into the city to sell cups of salad to people. And just it it oh excuse me. First time wow, I've been in this position. I'm just you're really, it all over the place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it gives this indication of this larger sci-fi world, but it's it's just like a 10-minute film. He just released a second episode, and it's like there's nothing about the look of that that looks anything like Pixar or anything that's in most modern movies either. But I could watch, I could easily watch a two-hour movie of of that. Well, so I don't think it, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's the look. But this one doesn't. Yeah, that's, I, I I don't know if I, if I have that figured out, but your comments have kind of spurred some thoughts on it. Um, I mean, I hate to beat a dead horse, but I really do think it comes down to narrative or even, even at a lower level ideas. I think that one of the challenges of making a feature is having enough ideas uh, that are engaging uh, to where you're not just jumping from one to the other and bridging the gap with filler, which, you know, pick any B movie off of the, off the shelf of like, you know, uh, lesser, lesser known and less quality films. And that's ultimately often a big part of it is that they had an idea, you know, a big gorilla escapes from, from the laboratory and runs into town or it's Bigfoot, but he uses chainsaws, you know, they call it suburban Sasquatch, but there's just not enough to the idea to fill out 90 minutes, but they make it 90 minutes or 75 minutes minimum so that it's classified as a feature. I don't sense, I'm not saying that there's anything that drastic here. This isn't B movie quality narrative at all. No. I think that there's some stretching and maybe some borderline repetition of scenes or ideas because there just wasn't quite enough uh, detailed ideas fleshed out to keep. Because I think that's that's more important for engagement than the look. I think you're right. I think you're I absolutely think right. It's, it's, and I was thinking that you, you remember the Clear Skies series with Ian Chisholm? Those were feature length films that captured your. Yeah. That, yeah. that I stayed with. And I think the re reason is, is he came up with an original story that had unique characters that you cared about. And he developed the quick plotting and, and clear uh, uh, style so that the look and the animation didn't get in the way and the voice acting didn't get away of your interest in the story. I think perhaps, and I'm not sure, but I suggest that the director was so overwhelmed with having to deal with just the technicalities of unreal and putting together a feature-length film in unreal that perhaps he may have neglected some of this plot and character development in the overwhelmed film. or it, i mean it it could be that's just not his strong area ah. he's clearly got massive chops for this cinematic production whatever he wants to call it, virtual production, machinima, whatever. That's what it is what it is. It's he's got massive chops there. Um, he, it, he certainly creating does. Creating visually evocative 
scenes and characters and stuff. Just fantastic. So maybe it's a bit much to expect that somebody who's that good at those things also a completely different skill set using a completely different part of the brain, which is not only crafting, but then fleshing out narrative uh, and or writing dialogue to help further that along. That's a big strength of the Clear Skies series is the way that dialogue was used. Well, I think there's that's what they no, started with. They yeah, started there's almost with no story. purely expositional dialogue in the Clear Skies series. You're right. There's no people that are just talking to fill you in on what's happening with the story. It is rather revealed by believable interactions between characters who have a relationship. And that's the mark of great dialogue and great screenwriting. So true. Um, and I think that that may be the, <clears throat> the area where that, that's just, he's not as strong in that. He's competent. You know, there's a, there's a B-movie director by the name of Neil Breen, if you've ever heard of him, <laughs> uh, who has made five feature-length films. I'm That's impressive. Seeing, I'm still seeing Breen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a funny, <laughs> funny coincidence on name, but I mean, they're just abysmal, just horrible. And it's not that the guy has no skills at all. It's that he thinks that he has all the skills. Now, <laughs> really, that is what it is. I mean, he is, he really <laughs> thinks he is on a god I love plane. those kinds of movies. Yeah, oh, he's hilarious. He's <laughs> yeah. very, he's and he's done DVDs with behind the scenes documentaries and stuff on himself. It's brilliant. I'll see if I can find some some links to it and Please. send it to you Ricky. You'll just you'll absolutely love it. Now, I'm saying all that, I want to be very clear here. I do not get that Neil Breen arrogance sense from this guy at all. Like not in any sense at all. Not all, not from his film and definitely not from the what I thought was a very tasteful and humble uh, personal message that he put at the end of the film. Um, that that won me over some of the things that I might have been, you know, kind of frowning a bit with on the film itself. But I like this guy. Uh, he's a real guy. He and and he doesn't seem full of himself at all. And it sounds like that his intent is everything that he's learned, he's, he is indeed, Ricky, going to get the knowledge out there so others can do the same. Yeah, that's That great. says a lot about a guy. Sure you know, That's an M. Dot Strange kind of characteristic. You know, somebody who just, he's in it for helping other people, you know? So, and I get that, I get that vibe off this guy. Obviously, I haven't ever sat down and had lunch with him or anything, but it just, um, I, I don't get the sense that this was a an error of of arrogance at all. Um, everyone has blind spots. I know I do. I don't know what they are because I'm, I'm blind to them, but you know, we all do, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that there is something, some kind of pixie dust or something that, that this film could have used to, to keep engaging. And I think what it comes down to is, uh, narrative. I mean, the, the way the dialogue was done in this movie, there were many, uh, too many moments where it was just pure exposition or character after character after character saying exactly what they feel and think, which I understand that on the surface, it's like, well, that's valuable. We want to know what they say and think. But it's like, yeah, but that's not interesting. No, no. How about it's, somebody who, who doesn't say what they really think? How yeah. about somebody who lies or yeah. doesn't reveal what they really feel or think? 
And you get enough of a hint to where, wow, that doesn't seem like they were being sincere there. Those nuances, I realize we're dealing with robots, but he's kind of already crossed the Rubicon on that. These are robots that emote and feel and everything. So you could do that. And I, I think that there's, you know, again, this comes down to to, to narrative details of, of th those are things that make, make it interesting. Yeah. Um, Good is, point. Uh, and we'll go over our time limit if I, if I go into to any examples, but that would be a great topic sometime for the future. So let me just run down some of the, the thoughts that I had. Again, the voice acting performances, um, the performances overall, very, very good. Uh, there's some weak spots, uh, but some of those actors are really strong. One character that kind of bugged me was the, I guess the lead bad guy robot with that chorus or flange effect on their voice. Yeah. Like really like heavily that. on their voice, almost I... to the point where it was a strain to hear him sometimes. And it just, after a while, it just, just my ears got tired of it. There's a reason yeah. why in, in popular music that every, every recording studio in, in the world has a little rack effect unit where you can do that. But only, you know, it's only once in a, you know, a couple decades that Led Zeppelin will come along and record their voice with that on the song No Quarter. But they don't do it on every single song. There's a reason yeah, yeah. for that. It's because it just... It grates yeah, on you. Yeah. It's grating, yeah. So, but hey, you know, live and learn. Uh, Foley is lacking in this a lot. There's a lot of people or characters, let's say, that are moving around that it sure looks like their movements would make some noise. Not just footsteps, which are also missing in key places. These big metallic, clearly heavy, you know, humanoids walking on what are presumably metal floors of a spacecraft, or and there's no sound whatsoever, or they're moving and and it's like there should be some noise for that. Um, so Foley would have elevated this this story a lot. Uh, the one that really stuck out to me was the the robot that hovers the 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 female voice robot that hovers with it looks like a drone basically and it's basically elevated right. in the air by these fans that are running and i think maybe in one scene there's like a little bit of a hint of a sound from those have you ever heard a drone it's loud they're not quiet yeah so i'm not saying that it needed to be that loud cuz that would be annoying but at least some sound when you clearly see the blades spinning and there's no sound even if the blades don't make sound, the air does. So I don't know, things like that. Um, some of the guns and explosions lack punch, just like in the Star Citizen movie we we looked at last week. Uh, unfortunately, this guy can't say that it's the game engine's fault, so I'm, I'm not sure what the reason is for that, but they just generally sounded kind of feeble and unthreatening. Um, there's no reverb in the ship's interior. And again, this is a big metallic structure. It's a spaceship. There ought to be some sense of the room when noises or talking or happening but there's not it's a lot of it's very dry uh for a sound guy that was very distracting for someone who doesn't understand the mechanics of that it's probably still distracting because it just doesn't doesn't seem real you know so um and then ambient sounds within the ship uh within the interior there's all this equipment all these computers around clearly stuff is running there's engines at times in the background and you don't hear any of that there's at times where it's just complete empty space um, now there's score there a lot of the times, which I guess is okay. I guess, I guess, if you're into the 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 John Williams approach to Star Wars, where there's score for almost every single moment of the movie, the tiniest moment has a big score. Everything yeah. has the score. Yeah, 
And okay, if that's the, if the space opera style is what you were going for, then I guess that's okay. But there still should be some ambient sounds. Yeah, you're right. Um, there are in in movies like that. So, um, what else? Visuals, as I mentioned, are very very good. Um, at times, uh, pro quality, the lighting and the the, the just the very creative. Uh, some of the characters and the, the the robots each having a different shape and personality. Um, if the writing had been in alignment with that and given them a little more personality to how they speak, and I don't just mean their accents or their tone of voice. Yeah, you can make those different, but I mean in terms of you know how they relate to the world. Then that would have that would have put the icing on that cake. So um, you know we've talked sometimes. Talk, getting back to the script is my final thing. We've talked sometimes about ambiguity in the past and how there, when there's too much ambiguity in a story, you, it's a, it throws you off. It You're again, lost. you lose engagement because well, I, I don't know what's happening. You know, I feel like that this script suffered from the opposite of that. It could have you, it could have benefited from a little bit of ambiguity. And I mentioned before about there's a lot of times there's characters where they just they speak saying, here's exactly what the situation is. What do you think about that? And then the other. It's just it it just give my brain something to do here, you know, assume yeah. that I'm an intelligent person watching this and give me something to do. You know, let me fill in some gaps. There's an art to that. It's hard. Um, I'm, I'm by no means the world's master of it or anything, but I I, I, I recognize it. Uh, and appreciate it for sure. Um, here's an example scene. So the sequence, I made this in, in my notes here, the sequence after they land in the ocean. They're taking on water. They vent the decks and stabilize. Now I picture that scene where everyone is doing their part, working toward the goal. Um, it, in the film, that happens, and everyone, as they're doing it, I'm going to tighten this brunch to to make the... the, uh, the, the, the Ballast tanks re refill and okay, now I'm going to do this to do it's like, wouldn't it have been interesting to see that whole scene where everybody's just going about working towards the goal? No one really has to say anything. They're all members of the ship. They all know what they're doing. And we know what the problem is. They're in the freaking ocean, and there's there's we can see that they're sinking. And now they're doing these things and the ship writes. And it's like, that would give me something to do, you know. And and I would be able to follow it just as easily, but instead, no, I've got to sit there and listen to somebody tell me what they're going to do and then do it. That kind of efficiency, I feel like, uh, um, could seriously could vault this film to to yet another level. It's already um, it's already very good. I mean, it's 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 got some amazing production values, as we've all pointed out. I really admire the one man show. I don't know how. I don't know how somebody does that, you know? I mean, I do, but how do you do that and and actually live a life too? You know? <laughs> it's like the an amazing, amazing amount of time and effort put into this. And this guy is definitely to be respected for that. Um, and I'll I'll watch for future work by him, but in hopes that if he doesn't have my hope is that is is if he doesn't have the skill set to to bring the level of craft to the narrative that he does to the visuals that he'll partner with somebody who does. Yeah. That's what they do in Hollywood. Yep. You know, 
I mean, great directors aren't always great writers. Yeah. You know, they pair with someone who is. And great actors are not always great directors. You, you hire the best for the best. And okay, it's not a situation where necessarily you can hire, but, you know, there are people who will get on board and who, who just love doing this. There's, there's thousands of us, you know, yep. who just love doing this. Uh, and it's it's worthwhile to, uh, to to get people involved who have particular strengths and get them working together, you know, just like the team of robots did in a movie. Yep. You know, they all had strengths and worked together. So, yeah, that's my thought. So, Damien, uh, let's hear your rebuttal on everything that uh, Phil just said. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, I can see the points that you made. Um, I get the impression this is, I don't know if it's necessarily his first film, but it's one of his early projects. And he, he obviously has a, um, he's he's learning as he's going along. So I hope that his experience making this means that when he's working on his next project, which is, uh, he's quite clearly in his little video at the end, says he's, you know, he, he's going to keep on making things. Uh, I hope he learns and, and gets better. But I really enjoyed what he did here, uh, even despite its flaws. And I'd like to see him continue to make more and to learn and to get better. He's one of those directors. I agree. Where, um, he's definitely got a lot of potential to do some really great stuff. And he's just got to take that time to, to learn the, the missing steps because he's he knows a lot already. Yeah, and he's he's shown that, but there's yeah. just the extra bits that are missing. And I mentioned before, some of the editing could have been tidy. It still would have been a feature-length film, just trim bits here and there. You've still been over an hour, which is to get that feature-length um, classification. Uh, that would have been my uh, feedback for him. Yep. Um, but yeah, I really want to see what he does next. Uh, and I think me too. Uh, you, you too, too. Me too. So, yeah. Yeah. If um, this is his first film. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I challenge anybody to put forth their first film and, and have it even hold a candle to this, you know? So yeah. if it is, that's amazing. I so think it's maybe the, the reason that it's warranted such detailed criticism is could be taken as a compliment. Yeah. You yeah. know, we're criticizing like this like something that, yeah, we're criticizing this like something that was put out, you know, by Hollywood in a, in a sense. Well, same standard. Maybe that's because, you know, it's in that in some areas it's in that tier. I agree. That's pretty in cool. fact, I think in that sense the film is a kind of audition for Hollywood in a way, because it it may be that he stops making films in Unreal because he's hired to do a <laughs> film. Could be for a studio or an independent studio. Hey, more power to him. And that's fine. Yeah. I mean, and that's just great. Yeah. I know if Hugh Hancock were around, it would be again the epitome of his notion of one man making a major motion picture. Yeah. yeah. He would I have loved this film. He would have loved this film. Yeah. I Although so I, I suspect he would have had some of the same criticisms that, that uh Phil had. Because yeah. he was really good on uh, creating stories and scripts. Yes, was, he's quite that was probably his biggest strength, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, thank uh, Richard, you. If, yeah, Richard, if you are listening to this, please make more. We want to see more of your work. Indeed, Absolutely. we do. We do. And we admire the work that you already did, despite our uh, detailed criticism. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys for talking about this. And thank you for your pick. I thought it was an interesting pick. 
I think you should always be brave and pick the things that you want and not worry about whether the rest of us are going to react a certain way. Just pick the things that you want and we'll talk about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. If you uh, want to talk to us about this film or you disagree with us or you think Phil has climbed up a tree and uh, gone to the end and sawing the, the tree, uh, the limb off on the wrong end, uh, contact us at at completelymachinima.com we have full show notes at completelymachinima.com and that's it this is our third film tracy we hope you're doing well uh we're going to be back with one more film which is a fascinating one for the month and that's tracy's pick well that's it so long we'll see you next time bye-bye bye-bye Bye.